We were going to have a guest, brand new to Krishna consciousness. Ananda Nama said he might be bringing somebody. Oh. That, you know. So I was trying to think, how would I possibly <laughs> reconcile and present a lecture where we're talking about a chinta beta beta tattva, a manifestations of the Supreme Lord, which have different <laughs> levels of potency and different forms and interact with each other by offering obeisances and. <laughs> I mean, how, where do you begin to, to talk to a newcomer about that level of a sophisticated conception of the Supreme Lord and reconcile that with uh, Chant Hare Krishna and be happy? So I was thinking about that a lot today. <laughs> okay, thank you, everyone, for coming. Continue our reading from uh, Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha, 29th Anucheda, the Mahakala Pura incident, or the incident of Mahavishnu uh, stealing the sons of a Brahmana nine times in a row in order to gain the audience of Krishna and Arjuna enter, by entering into this understanding of the Leela in the context of the Parivas Sutra were led to deeper conceptions, deeper thought into how that all the different Leela must be viewed by the light of the Parivas Sutra if we were to accept the narrations of the Bhagavatam according to the Gaudiya Sampradaya. That's our whole ideal here is Jiva Goswami saying these two verses, Vidati tat tat vidas tatva jnanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate and iti chamsa kalapumsa krishnastu bhagavan swayam. These two are the foundational verses upon which we build the Gaudiya understanding of uh, the Supreme Lord and it's upon that foundational understanding that one can actually gain access to the ideal of Raganuga Bhakti to actually have a conception wherein Krishna is accepted as Swayam Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And if we really look at it in the context of the various philosophies of Vaishnavism, as Jiva's already pointed out at the beginning of this Krishna Sandarbha, it's a revolutionary idea. And as contemporary Gaudiya Vaishnavas being introduced to the philosophy in the Western world uh, through the gracious dispensation of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, following the direction of Bhakti Siddhanta and the ideal put forth by Bhaktivedanta Thakur of spreading Lord Chaitanya's movement throughout all of human society, we've come to Krishna consciousness 
with a basic understanding that's steeped in this deep theology to such an extent that approaching these kind of detailed explanations, both philosophically and uh, looking at the uh, syntactical presentation of the Sanskrit slokas and and saying Jiva says at certain points these these words have to be translated with this meaning, although it could be translated with another meaning. We have to translate it with this meaning in light of the Parivas Sutra. These arguments aren't necessary for us. We already get it. We already know Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. We already understand that that Krishna is the source of the Purusha avatars. We've been accustomed to this for our whole experience in this life of, of Vaishnavism. One could ask, from our viewpoint, what really is the necessity here? Why are we embarking on this study of Jiva Goswami? 500 years ago, yeah, in India, yeah, so many different Vaishnavas, so many different sects, very heavily influenced by Sankaracharya, but we don't have those influences now. We have modern Gaudiya Vaishnavism to deal with. And yeah, there's some misconceptions, but nothing that would warrant this kind of a philosophical, in-depth analysis of a simple, of a simple Leela we have to look at it that there is some real significance to these kind of understandings, that it's not something to be taken lightly. We may think we have it, and we do. We have been blessed. We cannot deny the extreme magnanimity of Bhaktivinoda and Bhaktisiddhanta and, and Srila Prabhupada in, in bringing us to this point of easily comprehending the most deep of philosophical understandings of the supreme absolute truth, the supreme Lord. It's phenomenal what they've done. I sit and wonder when I read Prabhupada's purports now that I'm able to enter into them and understand what he was saying. Although he was conveying all these years to me through my reading, the basic understanding, now that I've been blessed with a little further sadhu sangha and, and blessed with English translations of the works of the Goswamis, which Prabhupada wanted, and he wanted us to study them, and I've read some of them, I'm amazed at how much his purports convey. It's just overwhelming. It, times to just say, wow, what he did. And it's it just reads like a regular little story, but then you read between the lines, knowing a little bit more the way the Goswamis presented it, and it just what was black and white words on a page becomes technicolor with it painted by the brush strokes of the of the palette of the Goswamis philosophical understandings and they're drawing from all the scriptures to put forth 
Lord Chaitanya's movement. So on one hand, you could say, well, we've it's there and we're solidly grounded in it. That solid grounding can be solidified so much more by these kind of studies, by reading. When we read the way Jiva Goswami is taking this one Leela and just, he's just restructuring the whole thing and you just, you really enter into, this is the way you have to see everything in the light of what Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give. A chinta beta beta tattva, a conception of the Supreme Lord wherein he simultaneously manifested in unlimited forms. And each of those unlimited forms displays a different aspect of his unlimited potencies and his unlimited swarup shakti. But still there's a distinction between all those unlimited forms and Swayam Bhagavan Krishna himself. There's a distinction. It's a profound distinction, so profound that when we look to this Leela and we think about it deeply and we hear Jiva Goswami tell us that Mahavishnu, the Supreme Purusha from whom everything that we have experience of in material manifestation comes, did not have within his potency the ability to see Krishna and Arjuna until Krishna so desired it. Quite a profound thing. We'll continue with the reading and uh, see where else uh, Jiva Goswami is going to take us. So he continues. Again, this is the 29th Anucheda. Even then... The blinding of Arjuna's eyes by the effulgence of Mahavishnu and the fear he felt on seeing him are not contradictory. Even though Arjuna did not experience such symptoms on seeing Krishna, who, being the whole Amsi, of which Mahavishnu is but a part, Amsa, has greater effulgence still. This is due to the fact that Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna himself manifested only as much potency as was suitable to nourish that particular Leela while withholding his other potencies even though they were present. Additionally, it is observed that at times even he himself is overcome in battle even by ordinary human beings. Okay, so Arjuna's blinded by the light, but he's not blinded by the light of Krishna. He hangs out with Krishna. He fights battles with Krishna. Of course, this incident happened before the battle of Kurukshetra. The Bhagavatam narration is not always presented chronologically. So this, the incident itself happened prior to the battle. In going there, Arjuna was was overcome. He was basically blinded by the effulgence of Vishnu, whereas he'd been with Krishna, which is the highest manifestation of the Supreme Lord. So Krishna is able to reign 
in through his Leela Shakti, his own potencies, and display those potencies perfectly in the context of his dealings with his devotees. He has full control of his various Shaktis most of the time. Sometimes he doesn't. When Bhava overwhelms him, when the love of his devotees is can so much overwhelm him that he forgets himself. He can't overcome that love for him. Jiva continues, similarly in this very episode as well, the apricot horses that had come directly from Vaikuntha lost their way due to material darkness. In identical matter, Sri Krishna's beholding Mahavishnu with reverence should not be regarded as inappropriate, because on other occasions he displayed such reverence towards Sri Rudra, Narada Muni, and others, although they are not on par with him. In this way, no objection can be raised on the basis of this particular or any other Leela of his because he is supremely independent in his behavior. So Jiva just keeps keeps unpacking it. Just understand Krishna can, this is a Leela that Krishna specifically arranged for the benefit of Arjuna. And it's been perfectly brought up by Sukadev Goswami in his discourse with Mahas Pariksit at the end of the 10th canto to, to exemplify Krishna's unlimited potency just so we don't... We've just heard of Krishna all these pastimes in the 10th canto of Krishna and in closing out the 10th canto, Sukadeva Goswami is just saying, but just remember, just remember who Krishna is. And he begins that remembrance by the prayers of the personified Vedas, which are just like pregnant with praise of the supreme personality of Godhead and the fact that Krishna is that supreme personality. And in and just to reinforce those prayers, Sukadev continued now with first Brigu Muni going to the demigods and finding out which of the various uh, Guna avatars in charge of goodness, passion, and ignorance is supreme. And now going even further to say, well, and that Vishnu, who's the supreme, so much so that he can take the kick of Brigu and think that he's offended a, a Brahmin. He's that that much <laughs> supreme. He has no no influence of the modes of material nature that he himself has all control of. And then when we look to Vishnu, then you'd think, well, that that manifestation has to be the supreme manifestation of the Lord. And, well, 
No, because that manifestation of the Lord, here's a Leela where Arjuna experienced that Mahavishnu is simply, you know, is not as powerful as Krishna himself. But you never know it from reading the Leela literally. We need the explanation of someone like Jiva Goswami of the, from, from the Gaudiya viewpoint. And you can see that this particular Leela, this particular ending of the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, is a prelude to the further expansion of this idea in the second part of Sanatan Goswami's Brihat Bhagavatamrita. Because here you have Gopakumar directly going step by step. Of course, first, who's the best devotee? Narda does his explanation to find, you know, his exploration of, of all the different levels of devotion to the Supreme and in his endeavor to find out, well, who's actually the best devotee? And he finds out, well, they're all best devotees, but there are gradations. So there's also a Chinta Beta Beta Tattva there. And then we go to the whole second part of the Brihat Bhagavata Mrita. And so we see it from the devotee side and then from the Lord's side, both Jiva Tattva and Vishnu Tattva. We see both aspects through Sanatan's work. This whole exposition is, this is what a Chinta Beta Beta Tattva means. So Gopakumar is going from, from, from one plane to the next plane to the next plane to the next level of worship of the Supreme Lord, ultimately coming to what? Braj Bhakti. He enters deeply into that. So this, this is all preliminary unpacking to that is further unpacked by Sanatanga Swami. If you really see what these Goswamis are, have done for us, it, it's, it's amazing. Because what, what, other, what philosophies do you have? Advaita, Sudadvaita, Sudvaita, Dvaita, Dvaita, all these different conceptions of divinity that are there and accepted by various sampradayas and then along comes Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and it just, wait, there's a whole other world of what is the supreme absolute truth. The Anacheta continues. Therefore, the sense derived from the purport, tatparya, and word meaning, sabda, of this Mahakalapura episode is to be understood understood exclusively in this manner. In coherence with the Pratijna Krishnas to Bhagavan Swayam. The sense derived, Jiva writes, the sense derived from the purport is, is as follows. In the Leela of worshipping Govardhan, 
Sri Krishna manifested a particular divine form of his for the play of amazing the cowherd people. Although he is Swayam Bhagavan, he himself offered obeisances to himself in that form along with them. Similarly, for the play of amazing Arjuna, he had the sons of the Brahmanas stolen through his form of Sri Mahakala. Along the way to Mahakalapura, he arranged to have Arjuna experience various wonderful things, and on arriving there, he showed him his particular divine form named Mahakala. Then, along with Arjuna, he offered obeisances to that form of his, and in that same form spoke the aforementioned words to himself, accompanied by Arjuna. So that's that's Jiva Goswami's conclusion. And he unpacks his conclusion a little bit for us. In regard to the former episode, Govardhan Puja, the following it is said. Accompanied by the residents of Braj, he himself, Sri Krishna, offered obeisances to himself in that form. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.24.36 here also, in the incident of Mahakala, it is said, Bhagavan Achuta offered obeisances to himself, the unlimited. 1089.58 Therefore, in Harivamsa Purana, while, referencing, while referring to the effulgent surrounding Mahakala, Sri Krishna himself told Arjuna, This is my effulgence, which is eternal. So now he's just fortifying what he said so far and giving us insight that there are other statements in Shastra regarding this particular incident to fortify the position I'm making here. That Krishna is saying, that's my effulgence that you see coming from Mahavishnu. That's mine. You don't see the effulgence coming from me, but you see my effulgence coming through him. Viva continues. Additionally, the sense derived from the word sabda themselves is as follows. Referring to Sri Mahakala, the adjective purushotamotamam has been used. In this compound qualifier, the word Purusha refers to the jiva. Superior, Uttama, to him is the imminent self, the Antaryami or Paramatma, who is the Purushatom, Purushottama. Superior, superior, Uttama, even to that imminent self, is he who embodies the power of Mahakala as the effulgence of Bhagavan. So Jiva's just saying, and this word has to be seen, this is the supreme of the supreme. Purusotamotamam. So one thing um, I'll share with you from Vishwanath Chakravarti's commentary uh, on this incident, and then we'll move on to Jiva's further explanation. 
Vishwanath Chakravarti writes in his commentary to the 10th chapter, 89th chapter, 62nd verse, In this way we should understand that in this last portion of the 10th canto, from the prayers of the personified Vedas through to the end of the narration, is found the description of the supreme position of Krishna, the Asraya Tattva, who is the subject of the 10th canto. According to Sri Sridhar Swami, although this pastime occurred before the Battle of Kurukshetra, it is accounted here at the end of the 10th canto under the general heading of the supremacy of Krishna's glories. So just kind of, that's where that whole idea I just relayed of this is wrapping up the 10th canto and let's not forget this this is the supreme manifestation of the of the absolute truth and of course we're hearing from Gaudiya commentators so they're not going to just you know they're going to give us this deeper appreciation based on the light of the Pariva Sutra, which is what we're discussing here in Jiva Goswami, is discussing in his 29th Anucheda. So before going on, uh, we're going to read again the two verses that are being discussed here that one could one one could walk away from with an improper understanding and then Jiva will further unpack them. So these verses that Jiva is quoting from the 10th canto, 89th chapter, 59 and 60th verse. Being desirous of seeing the two of you, Krishna and Arjuna, I had the sons of the Brahmana brought here to my abode. You have appeared on earth along with your parts, Kala, for the preservation of Dharma. After slaying the Asuras, who are a burden to the earth, quickly return here once again to me. Although you, Nara and Narayan, the foremost sages, are utterly fulfilled, yet you should still follow the path of Dharma to maintain the world order by setting an example for the people in general. So there's some portions of this that we haven't yet unpacked and we could see that they could lead to taking in a simple literal translation uh, to mean something that would oppose the Siddhanta and the understanding of Krishna being the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So we'll go on to another subsection of the 29th Anucheta. This is an, another one of those very long Anuchetas which has to be broken into parts uh, for our study. The Mahakalapura episode continued. Uh, basically, uh, here, Sujiva Goswami explains the intent behind this story by analyzing the semantics of the words used in the first of the two verses under discussion. Now, Jiva writes, we will explain the first statement of Sri Mahakala. Being desirous of seeing the two of you, Krishna and Arjuna, I had the sons of the Brahmana 
brought here to my abode. You have appeared on earth along with your parts, Kala, for the preservation of Dharma. After slaying the Asuras, who are a burden to the earth, quickly return here once again to me. So Jiva goes through the different word meanings and he shows us how these particular Sanskrit sloka should be analyzed from the Sanskrit viewpoint. And if we do so, as Jiva points out here, we will come to the proper conclusion and not be misled into a conclusion which would be contrary to the conception of Krishna being supreme and superior, a more complete manifestation of uh, the Supreme Lord. So he, he goes on to break it apart, and he, he says writes the following. The second sentence is as follows. The first sentence where's where Mahavishnu simply said, I brought the sons of the Brahmana here. So he says the second sentence is as, is as follows. Oh, you too have descended along with your parts for the preservation of Dharma, or you too have descended in the material world, which is your partial potency, as confirmed in Shruti. The material creation is one-fourth of his energy. So I kind of just highlighted and read the translations, not the picking apart in the, of the terms and, and the explanation. But we can see that in this, it's, it's simple. He, he uses the word kala as not saying that you too are my parts, but rather you descend and with your parts. Then again, he continues, after slaying the remaining asuras who are a burden to the earth, be quick to deliver them into my presence. Not that you come into my presence. You deliver those asuras who you killed into my presence, which is to say, cause them to be liberated by placing them here in the transcendental Vaikuntha realm where Mahavishnu resides. The latter meaning, the latter meaning is justified since it is well known that the Asuras killed by Krishna attain liberation. These liberated beings then enter into the effulgence of Mala Mahakalapura. Then he goes on to substantiate that understanding of the of the statements of Mahavishnu, uh, saying the following Bhagavan Sri Krishna affirmed this matter to Arjuna in Harivamsa Purana. And then he quotes from a different scripture to substantiate this understanding of the of this verses from the Bhagavatam. I am that divine immensity, Mahavishnu, replete with the effulgence of Brahman, which you beheld, O best of the Bharats. Such is my eternal effulgence. It is my transcendental nature, 
which is eternal, manifest, and unmanifest. Entering it, the topmost realizers of yoga become liberated. So this, apparently from the Hari Vamsa Purana, we see that Krishna is reminding Arjuna, don't be bewildered that you saw a greater effulgence from Mahavishnu that Mahavishnu, again, would be superior to me or be overwhelmed by that effulgence and, 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 and think that I'm not really the supreme. Which you could see. You would definitely... You had a friend, Arjuna, who you, you ate lunch with and hung out with, discussed things with casually... As, as a friend to a friend and then this incident happens and your friend says well I'll help you find these Brahmana boys, boys these children newborns and your friend takes you to the ends of the universe and beyond and all of a sudden you enter into this great effulgence and in the center of that is this manifestation of this of you know, Mahavishnu, the Purusha avatar, whose brilliance is so great that you can you can you can hardly see his form within it. You would say, Well this this is God. We, wow, Krishna, my friend, is taking me to see God for some reason. And so that's the whole incident and even the way that Mahavishnu spoke could lead Arjuna to say, you two are my kalas. Oh, okay. So even Arjuna could be bewildered by the statement of Mahavishnu as relayed in the Bhagavatam Leela. So Arjuna's basically, not Arjuna, Jiva Goswami has, has taken this incident and taking these, taking these statements and explain them in the way that a Gaudiya Vaishnava should understand them. Yes. Why would Krishna explain himself to Arjuna like that since they're friends and he wants him to see him as an equal? Why would he want to explain to him that he's actually superior to Vishnu? Because Arjuna's relationship with Krishna is one wherein appreciation of Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead is also a part of that relationship. It doesn't overwhelm the friendship, but it's not that Arjuna is not aware of. He's not like the, the, the residents of Raj, who, if they ever think of our Krishna... Or take shelter of Krishna in a in a particular incident, like the forest fire after uh, Kaliya was chased from the lake. The forest fire came and they all prayed to Krishna. But they were praying to Krishna, remembering that Gargamuni said that this boy would have as much power as Narayan. So they didn't. Why bother Narayan? We have this boy, and Gargamuni said he's as powerful as Narayan. He can protect us from the forest fire. Maybe Narayan's busy, but the boy's here with us, and he's a young child, and he does what we what he asks, what we ask of him. So we'll just ask him, because Gargamuni said 
He's got all the power of Narayan. So you see that throughout the 10th canto nar narrative of the Vrajlila, that whenever they call upon Krishna in distress, they're not thinking of Krishna as God. They're thinking of Krishna as a young boy, but Gargamuni said he has, has much power as God. Now, Arjuna's relationship is different. Arjuna knows Krishna is God. And his relationship with, with him is, is still, there's Aishwarya there. There's appreciation of his opulence in his godhood, so to speak. That doesn't mean that their relationship and their friendship is adversely affected by that. It's, but, of course, the friendship of the gopas with Krishna and Vraj is a different flavor of friendship than the friendship of Arjuna and the Pandavas and his other friendly associates in Dwarka and Mathura. Does that answer your question? We will continue next discussion with the uh, fifth sub part of this Section 29th Anucheta of the Krishna Sandarbha Mahakalapura episode concluded and we'll get Jiva's concluding words. Thank you so much for your association.